Amen. Amen. Well, let's get to the word this morning. This Christmas Sunday, I think it's appropriate that we read the Christmas story. And uh, when we do, we're going to read Matthew's account, actually, about the Magi, the wise men. And uh, just learn a little bit about what it is really to worship the king, as the kids just talked about. And we see with the Magi in their story, we're reminded that when people uh, showed up to worship Jesus, they did so because they wanted to be in his presence. And that should be our story this morning as well. I want to read the account from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 2, the uh, first 12 verses. Here's the story, if you haven't heard before. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men, or magi, from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. When they heard the king, they departed. And behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And with, with Mary, his mother, and, sorry, and when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then, being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. This morning, I want to focus for a few moments just on the story of the Magi, the wise men, and their worship of Jesus, just their desire to find the king, to be in his presence, and to worship him. And I think a few things that we can glean as well from their story in our own lives. The first thing I see in these men's lives, in their story, in their worship of Jesus, is that it was expectant. These men traveled a thousand miles from the Persian Empire, modern-day Iran, all the way to Jerusalem because of who they were expecting to find, and they believed that something was going to happen when they came into the presence of the king. Now, this may make us a little bit uncomfortable, but the Magi were actually practitioners of magic. They would have been among the sorcerers in their land. They would have been among the astrologers, other forms of esoteric knowledge. In fact, magi is where we get our English word magic or magician. Now, these particular men may have been believers, at least in the context of, of seekers, uh, men who had read the, the scrolls of old, the ancient manuscripts, and something was stirring in their heart, and they wanted to know about this king. They wanted to meet him, maybe recognizing who he was, but Daniel chapter 2 gives us a bit of an idea of uh, what this organization was, this, these, these magi. It says, then the king, speaking of Nebuchadnezzar, gave the command to call the magicians, the astrologers, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans to tell the king his dream. And, and so the magi, they would have been the sorcerers. They would have been the magicians of that day. But, but don't be too hard on them because all of us are born with a God-given appetite to, to experience the supernatural. 
Now, these men in those days would not have had the revelation of truth such as Israel would have had. And so they were seeking God. They were exploring faith, everything that had to do with the promise of this Messiah, certainly in the context of what they knew in that day. Now, something else that you may not know about the Magi, according to some Bible commentators, is they believe that Balaam, you may remember Balaam, he was the false prophet or the, the sorcerer who was hired back in Numbers chapters 22 to 24 in that story. He was hired by the king of Moab who feared the advancement of the people of Israel under their land. And so he asked or he paid uh, Balaam to curse the people of Israel because he believed that this man, this sorcerer, had that kind of power. But we also know, if you've read the story, that uh, God would not allow Balaam to curse Israel. And every time Balaam opened his mouth, he tried on different occasions, from different locations, as he saw the mass of the people of Israel approaching, he began to make a proclamation trying to curse the people, but God would only allow blessing to flow out of his mouth. And there's something very interesting that Balaam says in Numbers chapter 24, in verse 17. God says through Balaam, I see him, capital H, speaking of the Messiah, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A what? A star shall come out of Jacob, a scepter shall rise out of Israel. And so it's very possible that this star is where the, the uh, Persian Magi learned, or this, this passage is where they learned about this star of Israel that is supposed to be a light to Israel and a light to the world. And so when these Magi read their history, they probably go back as far as Balaam, who, who prophesied about this star, and, and they probably uh, looked at the writings of Balaam or the history of Balaam because he was probably a founder, had something to do with the origin of their own profession. And so you can imagine as they're studying the old manuscripts, the writings of old, they come across Balaam's uh, story. They come across what had happened uh, by the power of God when uh, he was supposed to curse uh, on behalf of the king of Moab, curse Israel, couldn't do that. And uh, what they discover, of course, is he prophesies about this star. As they read the writings, they also would have read the story of Esther. Remember the story of, of Queen Esther and how there was a man named Haman who was trying to uh, totally annihilate, eradicate the people of Israel. But through Esther and Mordecai, God miraculously saves the people of Israel. And then, of course, you have the story of Daniel. Daniel, of course, was brought to Babylon initially, but Babylon, the empire, was eventually overrun, conquered by the Medo-Persian empire. And so Daniel still served in that empire. And so for the Persians, Daniel would have been a very prominent person in their history, and they would have known about the story of Daniel at a time when a king then also had a dream that nobody could understand, and so they called the sorcerers and the magi, the astrologers, all those people, and they, they were powerless to, to help the king, but of course this Jewish man could. And of course they also would have known the story of Daniel being saved in the lion's den, the story of the three friends uh, saved from a fiery furnace, the point being that these uh, Persian magicians, as they study their history, they keep coming across this God of Israel who miraculously is saving his people time and time again. And then they go back to the prophecy about a star that will appear to the nation of Israel. Now, if that weren't enough, they would also have read from the writings of Daniel. Probably in chapter 9, Daniel says, he prophesied that 483 years from then, a Messiah, the star, would appear in Israel. And exactly 453 years later, this sign appears and Jesus is born. And you might say, well, that's not the same as 483. Well, it is because 
453 years later, he's born. 30 years on top of that, he begins to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is here. And so 453 plus 30, 483 years, they knew there was something special about the birth of this king, this star, this Messiah. And so in other words, the Magi, they do the math, they see the stars line up, and they set out on their journey. And by the way, I hate to shatter you know, our uh, delusion sometimes of the Christmas story, but they wouldn't have ridden on camels. Uh, the Persians were known for their horses. They had the greatest horses in the world. And they would have made that journey of 1,000 miles over a period of nine months on these horses. Not that it's important, but just throw that in there to keep you awake. Another little uh, 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 illusion we have sometimes in the Christmas story, because we all see the, the Christmas program, the Christmas story. We know it's all being told on the same stage at the same time, so it's kind of hard to break it up. But if you uh, followed the scripture we read this morning, you also understand that the three wise men did not find Jesus in a manger. They were not with Jesus at the same time the shepherds were on that night that he was born. They weren't there then. You read the scriptures three times. Matthew says that Jesus was a young child when the Magi found him. And they actually found Jesus where? In his house, right? So he was in his house. He was three, you know, probably two years old by then. In fact, that explains why King Herod made the decree that every child throughout that region two years and younger was to be killed. Why? Because he recognized the prophecy that a king is born and he's a king and realizes two kings can't sit on the same throne. So I have to eliminate the possible threat. And so the decree goes out for every child two years and younger to be killed. And so we know that Jesus was in that age of around two years and these magi appeared at his home. But here's the point. The promise of a savior to Israel has been prophesied for hundreds and hundreds of years. It has been studied for those who were students of the scriptures. They were waiting for this day to come. But it was these Persian men, for all intents and purposes, these pagan men. It wasn't the Jewish people. It wasn't the Jewish leadership, the scribes, the Pharisees, the elders in the, in the, in the synagogue. It was not them that were, that were uh, making the effort to find this Messiah. It was these Persian men who traveled a thousand miles to be in the presence of Jesus and to worship him. And my question to us very simply is this. If they made that much effort to find Jesus, to be in his presence and to worship him, what kind of effort do we make? What kind of effort do we make, those of us who profess to know Jesus Christ? We see in the story that the Magi were expectant. They were excited. Friends, there should be something stirring in our heart. Remember the words of David who said, I was glad when they said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord. Don't have to raise your hands, but how many times do you wake up on a Sunday morning and think, oh, it's church. Get the kids. Not a whole lot of excitement. When I was, when I was a kid, you know, we used to sit through services that were an hour long. They felt like five hours long. And, uh, and you know, I had a sensitivity to the Lord, and I enjoyed church once I got there. But most Sunday mornings, I didn't really want to get up. I wanted to play. I, wanted to, I knew my friends were playing ball hockey or something. I just kind of wanted to stick around. So we had a tradition in our home. And that is church started at 11. The kids did not stir until at least 10.35. Because then we knew if mom and dad were still asleep, and we didn't wake them. We weren't going to church that morning. 
You know, and you'd want to get out. You'd want to go to the washroom, whatever. But you didn't dare make a noise if you didn't hear their st them stirring. And that can be our hearts sometimes, those of us who profess to know Jesus, who profess to love Jesus. You see, there ought to be a stirring in our hearts on a Wednesday afternoon because Wednesday night there's prayer meeting. We get to come together in the presence of the Lord and, and, and seek the Lord together, experience the Holy Spirit. There ought to be something stirring in our hearts on a Thursday or a Friday, right? Knowing the weekend is approached. Now, we know the Holy Spirit lives within us, and so we can be in the presence of the Lord any time that we want to be. But there's something special about the people of God coming together. And there ought to be something in our hearts after a long week of work that you say, you know what? Hey, it's been a long week. It's Friday night. I've got, and it's not just the weekend, but I get to worship Jesus with his people. I get to be in the presence of God. There ought to be something, some expectation in our hearts for those of us who profess to know the Lord Jesus. Another thing we see about the worship is that it was expressive. Look at verse 10. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary's mother and fell down and worshipped him. Matthew says that they rejoiced. But they didn't just rejoice. They rejoiced with what? I think it's right here. They rejoiced with joy, right? And not just joy. They rejoiced with great joy. And Matthew says, no, no, that doesn't even describe it. No, when they saw the child, when they saw the king, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And Matthew says that these men fell down and they worshiped. Now hear me this morning. In the Greek language, what the New Testament was written in, the word that Matthew uses when he says they fell down in worship, he's not talking about bowing. He actually uses the word that literally means this, to fall down violently and be shattered. It'd be like me taking a crystal vase and with all my might throwing it to the floor and seeing it just shatter into a thousand pieces. That's the word Matthew used. The same Matthew who used the words exceedingly great joy. He's trying to get us to understand something here. Think about it. These men come into a home. They're not walking to a palace. They're not walking into Solomon's palace with all the gold and all the splendor and the ivory stairs and throne and, and this great king, this adult, this man, powerful man sitting there. Understand this, folks. They're walking into a home and there's a two-year-old kid walking around. And their response, the moment they realize they have found him, is they literally collapse on the floor. And they're shattered in his presence. That's what Elijah said in chapter 6, right? When he came into the presence of God. Woe unto me! I am undone! For my eyes have seen the king. And please understand... These magi are not emotional basket cases. They're, they're not simpletons. These are the wealthy, cultured, educated, stoic intelligentsias of their day. These are noble men. And yet they come in the presence of the Savior and they literally collapse before him. Saints, if you love Jesus this morning... There are times you just got to let yourself go in his presence. You hear me this morning? 
I don't know how together you think you may be or how together you want everyone else to think you are. I don't know. But every single one of us now and then, we need to know what it is to come into the presence of Jesus and collapse before him and be shattered. We need that. And if you haven't done it yet this year, I encourage you, as you move to the new year, you find yourself in that posture. If you want to experience truly a year of newness, you need to be undone in some areas and allow the Lord to redo you. Allow the Lord to remake you. Allow the Lord to put all the pieces back together in a way that glorifies Him and reflects Him. That's not just about you. It's not just about me. We need to have those times when we are shattered before the Lord. We sang about it. I forget the exact words just a couple songs ago that talks about the fact that there's no mortal. There is no mortal that will ever stand before His presence. Every single one of us will bow before the presence of the Lord. You may think you're too reserved. You may think you're too dignified. You may say, well, it's not my personality. I promise you, friends, the Scripture says there was a day coming when every single one of us, every single billionaire, every single atheist, every single university professor, every single politician, every single person is going to collapse in the presence of Jesus and be completely shattered. Every single person who ever breathed the breath is going to say, Woe unto me, I am undone, for my eyes have seen the King. And the beauty is, we get to do that now. We get to do that as sons and daughters of God who have access to come boldly into the presence of the Lord every single day. We don't like how things are going. We don't like maybe strongholds in our lives. We don't like the funk that we're in. We have the privilege of coming together in the presence of the Lord and be shattered before him and say, Lord, break me and make me your way. Bring that wholeness into my life. Put me back together again in the way that would honor you, that would serve your purposes. I'm so thankful here at Glad Tidings. I believe that we have some pretty expressive worship at times. But I'll tell you, my friends, as much as I appreciate it, I'll tell you this, we're only scratching the surface. We think we're free. We don't know freedom. We haven't experienced it yet. No, no, you see, freedom is not just about how well the musicians play. It's not about how fast you play and how much you clap. Freedom's in here. It's in here. It's worship that flows from hearts that have been set free. It's words that flow from people who love Jesus Christ. That's where it is. Let me give you a few scriptures. There's many. I'll just give you three. Psalm 41. This is another translation that says, go ahead and celebrate. Come on. Clap your hands. Everyone. Shout to God with the raucous sounds of joy. Amen. That's pretty good. Psalm 95. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker. Psalm 134. Lift up your hands in, right, the church, in the sanctuary, before the Lord, and bless the Lord. Friends, that's not being Pentecostal. That's being scriptural. That's all that is. That's just being scriptural. I don't care what background you come from. I don't care what denominational label you wear. If you're visiting here this morning, I don't care what it is. The Word of God says that these are physical expressions of what's in our heart. And what's in our heart is a love for Jesus. And when you really love Jesus, you don't give a rip what anybody else thinks around you. You're not worried about that. I have no, no hesitation whatsoever to show public displays of affection to my wife. No hesitation, or she may clock me up the side of the head. But I have no hesitation because I love her more than she loves me. 
It's not a personality thing. It's not a personality thing. I married her for the wonderful woman that she is, her heart, her character. She married me for my looks. So there's a big difference. But when you love the Lord, you're not concerned about that kind of stuff. What are the, and I understand we're all different personalities, whatever. But all my friends, I've seen when the Holy Spirit gets on you. When the Holy Spirit, I remember talking to Pastor Petty many times. He just talked about when people were baptized with the Holy Spirit. Just seeing them in love with Jesus, the way they would worship. And they were the, some of the most reserved personalities. But their hearts were just set free. And so enraptured with the love of the Lord. So it was expectant. It was, it was expressive. And finally, their worship was extravagant. Verse 11. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Most of us understand this morning whether or not the Magi realized it, I don't know. But most of us realize that those gifts were actually quite prophetic, right? The gold that was given to Jesus represented the fact that, that you know, that he's, that he's a king, right? He's royalty. Uh, the frankincense, frank incense, those two words, incense, speaks of prayer. It speaks of, of worship to the Lord. And so it, it speaks to the fact of Jesus' uh, divinity, that he's God, he's worthy to be worshipped. And, of course, the myrrh was the oil of anointing for, for burial for, for when people died. And so, of course, it was prophetic that Jesus was born to die for our sin. And so all those gifts were given to the Lord. But the reason the Magi gave it to him was because they were the best products that the Persian Empire was known for. And what that means very simply was they brought their best to him. They knew they were coming in the presence of the king, and they gave him their very best. And I want to ask us this morning, as we move into the new year, are you giving the king your best? Are you giving him the best when you wake up in the morning your day? Lord, I want to honor you with my life. I want to give you my best. Are you giving the Lord the best when you have your quiet time? Are you just kind of reading through your chapter to say you're done, having five minutes of prayer, tossing one up, or are you giving the Lord your undivided attention? We come together to worship the Lord. Are we coming intentionally to worship the King? Or are going through our grocery list or all the things, or do, we, or do we put those things aside and say, Lord, I'm here to worship you. I'm here to worship you with all that I am, with all that I have. That's what he's worthy of this morning. Then it says, they open their treasures. Now, these men, we don't know how big the caravan was. You typically see in a production, you have three kings because it speaks of the three gifts. But in those days, traveling from that distance, they would have had a large caravan. They could have had dozens and dozens of magi. You add to that the servants. You add to that maybe some soldiers or guard that came with them. You could have had a caravan of hundreds of people. And they're traveling nine months one way, 18 months round trip. And so they need at least 18 months supplies for all those people and all the animals, all the things they brought. And of course, when you travel in those days, days that distance, you always brought extra. It's estimated they would have brought probably enough for 36 months because you can get lost, you can be held hostage in the sense of maybe being robbed, and so you need extra supplies. You could run into a famine and when you travel. They don't know. So I want to give you an idea. That's their treasury. That's what they have with them, 36 months worth of gold and frankincense and oils and fabric, whatever they were bringing with them. They had a vast treasury with them. And the Bible says that when they come into the house and they see Jesus, what do they do? They collapse on the floor. They're shattered in his presence, and they bring gifts. Now, I'm using a little bit of license here, but I, I, I don't have any hesitation in believing that they probably were so overwhelmed 
by what they were experiencing there in the presence of the king. And I'm sure the Holy Spirit was ministering that time as well, that they would have said to the servants, hey, go get more. Go to the treasury. Bring it all. And you would have had some, you know, reserved, you know, calculating servant would have said, but, but master, you know, we still got, you know, nine months track home. You know, other things could happen. We should reserve something. And I can just imagine, even though they would have kept enough for the journey home, I can imagine them saying, no, go get it. Get it all. Bring it all. And just giving it to the king. I believe that's the way that we should worship as well. And by the way, you can't separate worship from your giving. It doesn't happen. You read through the word of God, throughout the word of God. When people worship, they gave. And they gave sacrificially. And they gave extravagantly. In fact, this morning, if you want to uh, kind of increase your level of worship this new year, I encourage you to, worship, to increase your giving. Because what happens when you're worshiping, the Lord breaks the stronghold of fear. He breaks the stronghold of mammon that rules the lives of so many people. And God's people become extravagant in their giving in every way that you can. The one last thing that we see in this story is that these men, of course, first go to Jerusalem to find the, the king because that's where they expect to find the king in the capital city. But he's not there. They speak to Herod. Herod summons the Jewish leaders. They look through the scriptures and discover that the ruler would come out of Bethlehem. So these magi, they go to Bethlehem. They find Jesus. They worship him. And the Bible says this. After that's taken place, verse 12, then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. Now think about this. Before they worship. Before they come into the presence of Jesus the King, they have to consult others to find out what the Scriptures are saying and what the Scriptures mean. But after they enter His presence, God speaks to them in a dream. That's pretty amazing. And here's what I mean by that. If you are not a worshiper, if you don't know what it is on a personal basis or a corporate basis to come before your Heavenly Father and to worship Him, if you don't know what it is to ever collapse in his presence, if you've never experienced a time where you were just undone in the presence of God, shouted in his presence, worshiping him, then you're always going to have to have somebody else teach you about spiritual things. You're always going to have to have somebody else tell you what this means in the Bible. You're always going to have to have somebody else tell you what God is saying. You may even chase after ministries to get a word from the Lord. But the difference is, once you start entering God's presence for yourself on a regular basis, you'll discover this. God will speak to you directly. Directly. That's why it's so imperative that we be worshipers. So imperative that we know what it is to come into the presence of the Lord, to seek His presence, to desire to live a life that knows what it is from time to time, to just come before the Lord and collapse before Him and to worship him, and to be undone, that he can put us back together, he can make us whole, and we really can become vessels of honor for the Lord. I'm going to invite the musicians to come. Boys and girls, you've been so wonderful this morning. I hope God's words encouraged you. It's been great to have you with us. As musicians come, we're going to close. We're going to close with a song. And as we always say, it's 1130, so you can beat the Baptist in Swiss Chalet. Let me ask you about your worship this morning as we close. 
Let me ask you about what God's doing in your heart right now. We've talked often about Christmas week, this really being a wonderful season for us to listen to the Holy Spirit and what he's calling us to in the new year, into a year of newness, of new things. I really encourage you, if you're in town, don't miss next Sunday. Got some wonderful things I want to share with you, just reviewing some wonderful things God has done in the year, and I also believe a simple word that the Lord has for us going into the new year. But let me ask you about your worship, your walk with the Lord. Number one, is it expectant? Is your worship of the Lord expectant? The Lord wants you to expect things to happen when you come into his presence, when you come before the king. Let me ask you secondly, is your worship expressive? Maybe you've been serving the Lord for many years or know the Lord for many years, but you've never changed in your expression. I, I love, I, I, I was going to say I don't want to embarrass my father-in-law. I know I'll never embarrass him, but, but one of the things that I, I so appreciate with my in-laws is that they're, the years old. I had to say that for mom's sake. Dad wouldn't mind, but mom might be a little upset. But what I so love is their worship. It's always from the heart. It's always fresh. It's always tender. It's, there's, there's still weeping. There's still just a, an awareness, a sense of the preciousness of Jesus. I say, oh, Lord, that's what I want when I'm... That's what I want, and that's what I want for all of us here this morning. I want it for you this year, whatever age you may be. Is your worship more expressive than it was last year? Is Jesus more precious to you today than he was last year? Because he wants to be, and he will be. And then finally, of course, is your worship extravagant? Are you giving the Lord everything? Are you taking, with, taking him with you, as we shared a couple of weeks ago, through your day? You say, Lord, my life is worship to you. It's not just Sunday. It's not when church stuff's on. My life is worship to you, Lord. I want it to be. Amen. Expectant, expressive, extravagant. Will you stand with me? We're going to close with this song, Pastor Kristen, and then we're going to close in prayer after we sing a verse or two. I'm going to ask a couple of the ministry team, would you mind just coming? Because after we sing, if you're here this morning, you'd like to receive prayer. Receive at Christmas, salvation. And if you want to come, we'd love to pray with you and introduce you to Jesus and how you can be reconnected with the God who made you and has incredible things for you that will only be found in him, in a relationship with him. We'd love to pray with you. Let's just sing this song. Let's sing it with exuberance. Let's sing it with joy. Let's sing it with, ex with ex expressiveness and expectation as we close this morning. Amen. God bless. Pastor Christian.